you are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. Don't judge me. The Bible says don't judge. So we're not supposed to judge people, right? But don't we make hundreds and hundreds of judgments every day? I mean, think about it. You know, you, you pull out uh, in traffic and you're, you're going up 288 and you're behind somebody and you're thinking, man, this guy can't drive. Right? You go out to eat. Man, that was a great dinner. Those are all judgments. And you're watching the football game later today. The ref blew that call. Right? You come to church and you're looking at me right now and some of you are thinking, Pastor Lee should not wear jeans when he preaches. <laughs> Don't judge me. Right? And yes, I wore jeans today just to make that point. Right? <laughs> so if the Bible says don't judge, how do we not judge when we make hundreds and hundreds of judgment calls every day? That's why we're in this series called Twisted. We're untwisting some of the most twisted verses in the Bible. Last week we talked about uh, the plans to prosper you from Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, where we said that, you know, that God told the people of Israel of that day, I have a plan to prosper you, a plan to not harm you. And, and we said, look, that yes, God has a plan to prosper us. But Jeremiah 29, 11 was a specific promise for the people of that day, not for us, but if we look at the totality of the Word of God, as believers in Jesus Christ, when you come to know Christ as your Savior, God has a plan to prosper you. God has a plan for you. This morning, we're going to talk about judgment and untwisting what the Bible says that sometimes we twist up and we think, ah, don't judge. What does that really mean? The next week, uh, we're going to finish our series, and we're going to take one of the most popular phrases out there and really look at what the Bible says and untwist this one. God won't give you more than what you can handle. Have you ever heard that one? All right, so we're going to end up with that one. But we said why we're doing this is because we really want to be people who know what the Bible says. And so last week we said, here's three ways to really read your Bible. And so uh, if you are going to take notes this morning, now would be a time to kind of grab out a pen or maybe open the note app on your phone. You want to take notes because you don't want your neighbor to think you're unholy and they judge you, okay? So, um, so this would be a good opportunity to do that. We said, here's three ways really every day you need to learn to read your Bible. First, you want to set the context of the passage you're reading. Okay? So when you come to a passage, you always want to set the context. Think about it this way. Context is king. Okay? So context drives interpretation. So we're going to look at Matthew 7, verse 1 and following in a moment. So what you want to do, if that's your Bible reading for the day, is read what comes before it, and then you want to read what comes after it. All right? So we always want to set the context. You can ask yourself questions such as this. Who wrote it? When did they write it? Why did they write it? To whom are they writing it to? So we want to always set the context. Secondly, when you want to read the Bible, you want to let the Bible interpret the Bible. The greatest interpreter of Scripture is Scripture. So this morning we're going to look at the theme of judgment. That's what our passage is going to show us. 
And so as we're looking in what Jesus says in Matthew 7 about judgment, we're going to look at other verses that also deal with judgment because what you're going to find is Scripture is never going to contradict Scripture. Right? So you can use Scripture to interpret Scripture and help you get that meaning out of it. And so last week, I gave you kind of two terms to learn. Uh, when you read your Bible, you want to do what we call exegesis. Okay? Exegesis means you want to pull from, right? pull out of. Right? So when you read your Bible, you want to pull out the meaning of, of what that passage means. You want to pull from the Bible to help you understand what it is. So you can think about it this way. When you're reading your Bible, just envision if we're going to read Matthew here in a few moments, Matthew sitting next to you. And you're reading, you're thinking, all right, I think this is what it means. Matthew, you think that's what it means? And then Matthew's like, yeah, that's what it means. Or no, you're off, right? Keep working. So exegesis pull from. We want to avoid what is called eisegesis. Eisegesis is the reverse of that. That means to put into, right? So we want to stay away from putting our thoughts into the Bible, our emotions, our feelings into the passage. We let the Bible do all that for us. So what happens if we do a lot of eisegesis, that's where we start twisting around verses because we're trying to make it mean what we want it to mean. Then finally, when you read, so you want to set context, let Bible interpret Bible. Finally, you want to apply it. Okay, you want to just apply what you read. We don't want to just read for information. We want to read so the Bible comes in our minds, our hearts, and when we put feet to it and action to it and obey it, that's where transformation happens. Right? So we want to apply it. We want to live it. We want to do what it's calling us to do. So if you've got a Bible or you want to turn your Bible on, let's look at Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to be in Matthew 7 this morning. We're going to pick up in verse 1. And so when you find Matthew 7 and verse 1, if you want to stand with me, we're going to read on down to Matthew uh, verse 6 out of Matthew 7. We're going to pick up verse 1. And if you're new with us, we like to stand when we read a, a passage of Scripture in its entirety because we do believe just what the choir just sang so beautifully. These are ancient words that are ever true, that change me and they change you. And so we want to give God reverence to his word. Jesus says, Matthew 7 verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. For everyone with judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? Verse 5 says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Father God, these are your words. And Lord, I pray this morning uh, that we can take these words into our minds and our hearts. We recognize it as the authority of our lives. And Lord, that we can obey it. We can do what you call us to do. And Father, that you will transform our lives more into the image of Jesus So, Father, we thank you for the way you love us, the way you care for us. And, Father, I pray today that as we leave soon, that every child, teenager, man, woman that's on our campus this morning will know Christ as their Lord and their Savior and will worship you with their lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So when we we said one of the first things you want to do when you come to a passage is set the context. So let's set the context of what we're reading In Matthew, chapters 5 through 7 is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. 
Uh, really why it's called the Sermon on the Mount is because Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says that Jesus was standing on a mountainside and people came up to him and he sat down and started teaching. Right? So he names the sermon series the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts really teaching about what the Christian life's all about. So Matthew chapters 5 through 7 are going to go over how a Christian lives within the kingdom, how we think, how we act, how we treat others, what we do. But then in Matthew chapter 6, he starts to really focus in on the religious leaders of the day. And he starts to kind of dig into the topic of hypocrisy with them. And so he says, listen, guys, when you give, don't be a hypocrite in the way you give. You know, don't, don't give in such a way that's bringing attention unto yourself. When you pray, don't pray in such a way that's bringing attention unto yourself. When you fast, don't bring attention unto yourself when you fast. Like, don't be hypocrites when you pray, you give, and you fast. And that's all in chapter 6. Now, when we roll over into chapter 7 and verse 1, what's he doing? He's addressing judgment. Judge not that you not be judged. See, what he's saying there is not that we don't judge but that we're not hypocritical when we judge. See, that, that meets the flow of the context. So he's not saying, no, no, you can't ever judge, but don't be a hypocrite when you judge. All right, so now we've kind of got the context. Let's start letting the Bible interpret the Bible and see where we get that meaning from. And so when we stop and think about what Jesus has just told us in verse 1, did Jesus ever judge people? You think so? Okay, maybe. You know, some may say no, some may say yes. Some are like, I don't know if that was a rhetorical question or did you want us to answer out loud because we never know what to do, and that's fine. But did Jesus ever judge anybody? Well, drop down to verse 13 in Matthew chapter 7. What does he say there? He says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Does that sound like a guy who goes, you know what, guys, just do what you want to do, right? I mean, no. Jesus, is, he's giving us a judgmental statement right there. He's judging. He's saying, look, there's two ways, right? There's a, a path that a lot of people are on that lead to destruction. And there's a path that's narrow and it's hard to find. And those that are on that path are leading to life, right? That, that's a being a, a judgmental statement. He's making a judgment of that. There's two paths. What does he call us to do? Does he call us to judge others? Yes, right? Drop down to verse 15. Notice what he says here. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You're going to recognize them, verse 16 says, by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Verse 18, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, it's cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you'll recognize them by their fruits. So is he saying for us as believers that there are times we have to judge someone else? Yes, right? Did you see that? He's saying, beware of false prophets. Well, how are you and I going to know if they're false prophets? We judge them by their fruit. We we look and say, wait a minute, that's that's bad teaching. That's not teaching according to Scripture. Or maybe that's good teaching. Or maybe your lifestyle is not matching up with Scripture. 
See, here's the problem. We've taken Matthew 7 and we've twisted it all around to say, no, 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 no. You can't judge. You can't tell me what's wrong. You can't tell me what's right. And these, there, there are two fundamental errors that our society is making right now today. And, and these two fundamental errors are starting to creep into our churches. The first error is this. Religion is private. And no, religion is not private. Your faith's not private. Your faith is public. As a believer in Jesus Christ, that's what we're called to be, public followers of Christ. The second error that's in our culture now that's creeping into our churches is that truth is, is relative. That there's no moral absolute truths. Now listen, if I put 15 different people up here on stage, and let's say we have a a Christian and a Hindu and a Muslim and a, you know, a Buddhist and an agnostic and an atheist. And we just line the stage up with about 15 different men, women, all different ages, all different races, all different religions. And we say, you know what, guys, look, is truth morally relative? Some of them might go, yeah, yeah, it is. Some of them say, no, no, it's not. And we say, okay, show of hands, all 15 of you, how many of you think it's okay to abuse a kid? You think we're going to get any hands out of 15? Probably not. How many of you think it's okay to just go out and murder someone for, you know, because they, you know, blew leaves on your yard? Anybody? Anybody? Any show of hands? Think you ever going to put their hands up on that one? No. Then truth's not morally relative. Do we get that? Okay. Amen? All right. Because to say truth is morally relative is a judgment statement. Got it? <laughs> or is that going to set in over the PB&J sandwich at lunch where you go, oh, that's what he meant by that. <laughs> Got it now, right? To say you can't believe in absolute truths is a judgment statement. To say there are moral absolute truths is a judgment statement. So is Jesus saying we never can judge? No. What is he saying? Don't be a hypocrite when you do. Right? Don't be a hypocrite because we're looking at verses 15 through 20. He's like, well, clearly he's told us to judge people. We've we got to know who's false, who's right, what's wrong, what's right. See, if the Bible calls it a sin, guess what you and I are to do? Call it a sin, right? Because if these are the ancient words that we hold ever true that change you and me and change you know, us, then what's called a sin here is a sin, and you and I aren't to change that. You and I aren't to monkey with that. We say, no, here's what the Bible says. So when we judge, we have to be careful. Right? So when we look at others, we have to be careful. Look at verse 2. He says, for with judgment, you pronounce what you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So Jesus is saying, when you judge, and you have to make those statements sometimes, when you maybe confront a friend in sin or a family member or a church member and you come up and say, hey, look, th this isn't right. He's saying be careful because the way you do that is also the way it's going to be done to you, right? Watch your motivations because remember the whole context of this is don't be a hypocrite when you judge. So how do you know if you're being judgmental, right? Because being judgmental is different than judging, so how do you know if you're being judgmental to someone versus just judging? Now write this down. You're being judgmental towards someone 
Not when you evaluate their practice, but when you dismiss them as a person. Okay? You're being judgmental, not when you evaluate a practice of somebody, an action of somebody, but when you dismiss them as a person. Jesus says this in John 7, 24, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. What makes the religious leaders so mad at Jesus? Do you think they're mad at Jesus when he stands up before a crowd and he's like, hey, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Are they mad at him with that? No. Why? Because he's calling people to turn from sin. They're like, all right, way to go, Jesus. You preach against those sinners, right? You tell those people what to do. What makes them so mad? It's when Jesus goes, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. And oh yeah, tax collector. Oh yes, prostitute. Oh yes, sinner. I want you to come and eat with me. I want to spend time with you. I want to get to know you. I want to value you as a person. See, being judgmental is, you're wrong, and I don't value you. What Jesus does is to say, listen, what you have done is wrong, and I value you. See, you were judgmental when we dismiss. We're more like Christ when we call someone to say, look, Bible says this. You're doing opposite. I want to help you follow the Bible. I want to help you come to know Christ. I want to draw you into a relationship because that's what Christ does. That's why if you're, if you're new with us, we have what's called a four-by-four four strategy here. And our four-by-four four strategy is real simple to understand. It's find four people who don't follow Christ. Pray for them four times a week. Right? Invite them to four parties a year. You know, it's things we do at the church, maybe over to your house, Super Bowl's coming up. You can invite somebody over, maybe out for coffee. All right, what are you trying to do? You're trying to get to know them, build relationships with them. These are people that don't know Christ. You're around them. And why? Because it's all for him. It's all for Christ. That's why we do it. So you can share your, the gospel with them. All right, so four people, four prayers, four parties is for him. It's for Christ. So you're being judgmental, not when you evaluate an action, but when you dismiss somebody as a person. Secondly, this, you're being judgmental when you point out sin in others, but you fail to understand your own sin. Being judgmental when you point out sin in others, but you fail to understand your own sin. Pick up with me in verse 3. Jesus asked these questions. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So you're being judgmental when you see the sin of someone else, you call them on that sin, but you don't deal with your own sin. Um, we had a lady um, in my previous church call me one Monday morning. She had been coming to the church for a little while, and um, she'd been around some, and, and she called me on Monday morning, first thing, and she said, uh, I'm not coming back. Now, that blesses the pastor's heart first thing Monday morning, right? I mean, just, whew, all right. Thank you for the beginning of that week. And I said, well, I, I'm sorry to hear that. Why, why aren't you coming back? You know, what, what's going on? 
And she said, yesterday in the sermon, you said that you were a sinner and that you still struggle with sin. And I can't sit under a pastor's teaching that would stand in front of people and say that they still had sin they're battling in their life. I can't do it. I was like, all right, well, I know it's Monday morning about 8.30. The Dr. Pepper quite hasn't hit my system yet, so I'm still waking up. And I said, well, I'm, I'm sorry, but I mean, but the Bible says we're all sinners, right? And, and even as believers in Jesus Christ, we, we still have the old flesh that we battle against, and there's still things we wrestle with, and there's still times we, we all sin. Can I just ask you, do you not sin? And she said, no. I said, what? I'm sorry, what? And she said, no, I, I believe as Christians we don't sin. I'm not on her Christmas card list. I mean, I, I don't think that's shocking. She never came back. See, John Owen, the old Puritan writer, once said the seed of every sin is in every heart. So, so we all have that log in our eyes, right? And here's how you know when you're judgmental. When you're more upset at someone else's sin than your own. See, that's, that's being judgmental. Is when you and I get upset, more upset at somebody else, what they've done versus just what we've done. Right? You've got to look at yourself. You've got to take that log out. And so, no, as a person who, yes, has to judge, as a person who has to decide what's false teaching, what's right teaching, as a person who has to come and say, listen, you, you got to correct behavior because it's against Scripture, then you and I ought to be people that practice repentance constantly. You and I ought to be people who are more upset at our own sin than society's sin, than what anybody else does. You're being judgmental when you point out the sin in others but you fail to understand your own sin. So how do we do it? How do we judge? I mean, because verse 1, where we get this twisted, it's not, hey, you don't judge. No, we, we do. We have to. So how do we do it? How do we judge others? How would the Bible teach us to do that? Well, pick up in verse 6 with me. Because verse 6, I think at first glance seems really disconnected to what Jesus is saying, but it's actually connected. It says in verse 6, Do not give to dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. It's often in the Gospels when Jesus talks about the message of the kingdom that he relates it to pearls. He's saying that the Bible and, and what's in Scripture, it has great value. And, and this Bible and this, this message of Christ, it's of worth, it's of value. And so what he's saying in verse 6 is here's how we can engage people. Here's how we can point out sin and call people to follow Jesus. And the, the illustration, let me try to help you understand a little bit. Um, dog lovers in here, you're going to get this. Cat lovers, we pray for you often because I just don't understand why. What value do they bring to society? I mean, really. But that's a whole nother time and soapbox for me. You guys know that. But dog lovers, I had a golden retriever by the name of Tahoe one time. And when it came time for food, I mean, I could walk over to the food bag and Tahoe's sitting there. And I mean, he just starts drooling and tail starts wagging. And I dip that cup of food out. And then he just starts running around the kitchen. And I dump the food in. And I mean, when I turn to put the cup back, it's gone right? 
he was that type of dog. I mean, I mean, he just like inhaled it, right? And dog lovers, you know this. I mean, the dog just loves, 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 loves food. So what if one day I went over to the food bag, there's Tahoe, he's sitting there, his tail's wagging, starts drooling. I dip in the cup and I walk over to the food bowl and he's doing, laps around the kitchen and I dump out a bunch of pearls in his bowl. He's going to walk over to that bowl and he's going to sniff it. He's going to get bored with it. What's he going to do? He's going to walk away from it. See, he doesn't understand the value of the pearls. The pearls are good. The pearls can buy a lot of dog food, right? But he doesn't get that. He doesn't understand the value of it. And so what you and I have to do is when we confront people in sin is help them to understand the value of Jesus. We're engaging people in a culture that are not believers in Jesus Christ. And the only way that they can see the value of the word of God and the beauty of Jesus is by the work of the Holy Spirit coming in their lives and helping them to see that. Taking the scales off their eyes. Unveiling their veiled vision. And so we need the Holy Spirit to help us. So we come to people and we say, listen, you, you have sin. I have sin. You have sin. And I know someone who can take away that sin. And here's how we engage. Number one, make prayer your main priority. Make prayer your main priority. As you go to judge someone, as you go to point out sin, as you go to share the gospel with someone, pray. Pray first. I love what Ian Bounds says. Ian Bounds has written a lot on prayer, and this is one of my favorite uh, quotes from him. He says, we should not talk to a person about God before we talk to God about that person. We should talk to a person about God before we talk to God about that person. See, pray. Ask God to do something in their lives. Secondly, live and speak with grace and truth. Live and speak with grace and truth. We can get off on this one. Because a lot of times we'll show all grace and no truth. Sometimes we'll come over here with somebody and we'll show all truth and speak all truth and show no grace. It's a balance. Jesus balanced it. We have to balance it. Do we call sin, sin? Yes. Do we point that out? Do we share the gospel with people? Yes. But we show grace. We speak truth, we show grace. That means you need to be patient with people. Listen, if you have somebody in your life that you're trying to share the gospel with, you're you're working that four-by-four strategy, you, you have four parties with them, you're hanging out with them, and they don't know Christ, why are you going to be shocked when they sin? Why, why in church are we shocked when lost people act like lost people, right? They're lost. I don't know Christ. Why should, that, why should that shock us when they're just living out what they know? We speak grace and truth. We're patient with them. We love them. Maybe there's a new Christian in your life. Listen, they're new. They, they don't know everything. They don't know all the lingo that you know because you've grown up here or you've been in church all your life. Right? They, they don't maybe know sometimes not to wear hats in buildings or in the worship center. They don't know when to raise their hand or when to sit or when to stand. They don't know what a life group is, right? They don't know any of those things. Okay, speak truth, show grace. Walk alongside of them. Be patient, love them, care for them. Be patient with people. Number three, this. So we want to pray for people. We want to live with grace and truth, speak truth and grace in their lives. But finally, this, practice repentance. 
practice repentance. You and I have to make judgment calls. See, the, the verse is not saying we don't ever judge. We don't judge hypocritically. So if you and I are not to judge hypocritically, then you and I have to practice repentance daily. You're not perfect. Stop pretending to be. Everything's not always okay. You have a culture that's looking at you. And they think you're perfect. Or maybe they know you're not perfect. Stop pretending to be. Be the first one in line to go, I need Jesus today. Be the first one at the office to say, you know what? I need Jesus just as much on my best day as I did on my worst day. Be the first one in your office when you mess up to go to somebody and say, hey, I messed up right there. I used a word I shouldn't have used. I did something I shouldn't have done. And yeah, you know what? I, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and, and, and that's what we call a sin. And, and I just I need to tell you I'm sorry. I'm going to ask God to forgive me later. But you know what? As a coworker, I, I just I'll let you know I'm sorry. As a dad, be the first one in your home to practice repentance. As a mom, be that one to practice repentance. Practice it every day because we need it every day, right? And this is who we are. We are beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. So I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 51. And as we think about this last verse of what Jesus says, he's not calling us never to judge. We have to point out sin because the Bible calls it sin. But we have to turn people to Christ. We need to forget, never forget that we need God every day of every moment. Psalm 51 is one of my favorite psalms. It's a prayer of David. David has been confronted in his sin, of his deep moral sin against Bathsheba and Uriah. God used a man by the name of Nathan to judge Nathan, or to judge David. Nathan came up to David and said, what you've done is wrong, and God knows it. And you need to turn. You need to turn back to God. David in Psalm 51 writes a song of repentance. And I want you to pick up in verse 10 with me. David says there, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. There are ways right now this morning where you can practice repentance out of Psalm 51. Maybe for some of you it's verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. You don't know Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You yet to have that heart that God can give you. Maybe it's a prayer, God created me that today. In a moment, we're going to sing, and you can come, and you can let me know, hey, I, I just need Jesus as my Savior. Or I've got questions about that. I've got doubts about that. There's someone who will spend time talking with you this morning and praying with you and answering those questions, helping you take that step of faith. Maybe this morning it's this, verse 12, restore me to the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with the willing spirit. Maybe today it's the lack of joy in your Christian life right now. 
because you've not taken the log out of your own eye. Sin will break fellowship with God. Unrepentant sin will suck the joy out of the Christian life for you. So deal with it this morning. Call it what it is. Don't cover it up. Don't make excuses for it. Just say, you know, Lord, I've sinned against you and I need you to restore back to me the joy of your salvation. Maybe this morning it's verse 13. Lord, I I, want to teach someone your ways. Lord, I've repented. And I want to let someone else know what it means to follow Christ so that they'll return to you. Maybe it's one of those four-by-fours. It's somebody you know in your life that needs Jesus. And so let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. And I'm going to ask you to start praying through whatever verse out of Psalm 51 that hits you. That the Holy Spirit is talking to you on right now. Maybe it is that create in me a clean heart, O God. Today it's a, a day of praying for salvation in Jesus. The good news is the Bible says in Romans ten thirteen that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says elsewhere in the Bible that when you come to God, he's not going to shame you. He's not going to turn you away. You don't have to sit there this morning and think, oh gosh, if God only knew what I did, he wouldn't forgive me. No, he knows what you've done and he's drawing you in right now to say, come to me. Maybe today it's to pray, restore me, God, to the joy of your salvation, the salvation you have given me. Bring that joy back in me. For many of you, you pray for revival in our nation. And amen if you do that. But why don't you pray, God, would you start a revival in our church, in our town, in our nation. But Lord, it has to start with the person sitting in my seat. Would you pray for restoration, revival in your life right now today in that relationship with Jesus? Maybe today it's that that four by four. One of those friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors that needs Christ as their Savior. Go to them today. Take that name to the Lord and say, God, I know your desires for their salvation as well. And Lord, I want to pray for them to come to know Jesus. Lord, you are a God who hears our prayers when we call. Psalm 18 verse 6 says, when we call out to you, that your, our, our words come to your ears, even into your temple. And so, Lord, I pray today for those new hearts, those clean hearts in Jesus. Father, I pray for that revival and that restoration in relationship with Christ. Father, I pray for those people that we know that need Christ as their Savior. They'll come to know Jesus. Lord, as we go out in a few moments and and we have to deal with folks around us in our lives, help us to speak with grace and truth. Father, help us to pray. And help us to be people who practice repentance, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. On Sunday mornings, we have life groups for all ages at 9 a.m., followed by worship service at 10.30 a.m. For more information about how to support the ministry of Heights Baptist Church, go to heightschurch.org. give.